I wanted to uh, get us on the same page this morning. I want to share, you've probably heard the movie, I think was, there was a movie called uh, Pay It Forward. And uh, as Christians, for sure, we ought to pay it forward as a, as a form of our actions of love. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, the scripture that's often uh, shared of at weddings about love, what is, there's no keeping of records, um, giving themselves for, for all the things that is called for in that chapter. It says, if I have not love, I have nothing. Even if I give my body to be sacrificed, if I don't love, it counts for nothing. And so paying it forward is part of the action. Jesus' half-brother James said, I'll show you my faith by my works, right? A lot of folks say, I believe. Well, why don't you demonstrate, model that by our lives? Here's an example of a, of a pay it forward that just brought me to tears when I read it. So I think I'm just going to ask you. In fact, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8, it says that the bride has made herself ready by the good deeds that she has done. Her garments, the good deeds, the bride, we are the bride of Christ, and so we are making ourselves ready, it says in Revelation 19, for that wedding feast of the Lamb that will one day come. Pay it forward. One day, a man saw an old lady that was stranded on the side of the road, and even in the dim light of the day, he could see that she needed help. So he pulled up in front of her Mercedes, got out, and his very old aged Pontiac still sputtered as he approached her. Even with the smile on his face, she was worried. For the last hour, no one had stopped to help her at all, and there was less and less traffic on this seemingly deserted road. She began thinking to herself, I wonder if he's going to hurt me. He doesn't look really safe. He looks really poor and hungry. As he stood out in the cold, he could sense that she was frightened, and he understood how she must have felt, so he tried to comfort her. I'm here to help you, ma'am. Why don't you wait in the car where it's warm? And by the way, my name is Brian Anderson. Well, all she had was a flat tire, but for an old lady, that was bad enough. Brian crawled under the car looking for a place to fit the jack. He skinned his knuckles a time or two, but soon he was able to change the tire it was really cold outside, and because he had to lay in the dirt, he had gotten really dirty. His hands were hurt. He had no gloves. But after putting on the spare tire, tightened up the lug nuts, she rolled down the window and began talking with him. She told him that she was from St. Louis and was not from here, just passing through. She could thank him and thank a lot for coming to my aid. Brian just smiled and closed the trunk, the lady asked, so how much do I owe you? She was willing to pay any amount because she realized without him, it was unlikely that anyone was going to help her and she might sit there. She already had imagined awful things might happen to her at night. Someone might break in, someone might harm her. Brian never thought twice about that, never thought about being paid. That was not a job to him. This was just helping someone in need and he remembered the many times in his past when someone had given him a hand. He'd lived his whole life that way, helping others. Never occurred to him to act any other way. He told her that if she really wanted to pay him back, the next time she saw someone in need, she could pay it forward. And by the way, ma'am, just remember me, Brian. He smiled and think of me again. He waited until she started the car and drove off. It was a cold and depressing day. But now he felt a little better. He felt warm inside with his spirit lifted, and he headed for home. A few miles down the road, the old lady saw a small cafe. She went in to grab a bite to eat to get the chill out of her on her last leg of her trip home. It was a real dingy-looking little restaurant. Outside were two deserted old gas pumps. The whole scene was unfamiliar to her. The waitress came over, brought her a clean towel so she could wipe off her wet hair, she had a sweet smile. Been on her feet all day and couldn't help but notice she looked like she was about eight months pregnant. But that didn't seem to stop her attitude. The lady wondered how she could be so sweet to a stranger. And then she remembered Brian Anderson. After the lady finished her meal, she paid with a $100 bill. 
The waitress quickly went to get change for a $100 bill. She hadn't seen one of those. She was gone by the time the waitress came to the back of the table, and the waitress wondered, well, where's the lady? Then she noticed something written on a napkin. There were tears in the waitress's eyes when she read what the lady wrote. You don't owe me anything. I've been where you've been. Somebody once helped me along the way, and now I'm going to help you. I really want to pay me back someday. You can just remember, don't break this chain of love. If there ever is a time that you see someone else in need, do what I'm doing. She lifted up the napkin. There were four more $100 bills under the napkin. Well, there were tables to clear and sugar bowls to fill and people to serve, but the waitress went through another day. That night, really tired and weary, she climbed into her bed and thinking about the money and what the lady had written on the napkin, how did that lady know exactly what her husband and she needed? What the baby due next month was going to be hard. She knew how worried her husband had been as he was lay sleeping. She gave him a soft kiss and whispered in his ear, everything's going to be all right, and I love you, Brian Anderson. One thing I've learned, the beautiful thing about God's wonderful blessings, when he delivers a blessing, it doesn't just bless one, he blesses many. I thank the Lord. That's good, huh? That's a good word. We're going to pass it on, right? Pass it forward. Praise God. All right, if you uh, have not received an outline, why don't you raise your hand? We'll make sure you get one. We need a couple of our meters and greeters could run out and just lift them high. When you come in, and, um, when, when I'm preaching, I like to... I like to have a written word. I'm a visual learner, and it helps me to, to look and see. And Actually, the retention is actually goes up a whole lot of percentage-wise when you can visualize it and hear it and then see it repeated. So I like to do that. You can fold this up in your Bible. I'd like you to read it during the week. There's probably more here than I'll ever get to the details of like a, what I'd like to share, but... more. Just got a couple over here on this side too. I've titled the message this morning, Pursuing His Presence Transforms a Servant to a Friend. I don't know if the song sets, um, I, don't, I don't know who selected, but it was all about pursuing his presence. He leaves the, the 99 and goes and gets the one. His prayer, I was like, man, Lord, holy mackerel, you're just like singing my sermon here. And so I, I love when the Holy Spirit does all that. Pursuing his presence. I've heard this said is, I found Jesus. The reality is he's found us, right? <laughs> I know there's probably two parts of this pursuit, but there's this pursuing him and him pursuing us. And so Imagine many of us are in different stages of our journey in pursuit with Christ. If you're like me, there's been some success and a lot of failures, a lot of questions, lots of mysterious stuff that's happened in my journey, approaching over 40 years now with Christ. Philippians 1.6 says this, God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day. Philippians 1.6, he who began the good work. So the moment you come to this place where I surrender, and if you've never met Christ, please do not leave this place today until you pray with one of our prayer ministers at the end of the service. Or maybe you've wandered off and you're like, eh, I got a lot of stuff I'm struggling with. Don't leave here. It's that place where once I come to this Philippians 1.6 revelation, I began this work. The Lord began the Lord began the work in us, right? So I start way over here. It's like my journey. If you knew where I was, oh my goodness. Praise God, I'm not the same that I was, but I'm not who I'm going to be at the end of this journey. So we're all on it. There are circumstances, there's situations, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly of all life, and it says all things work together for good to those who love him, right? So We've got this pursuit that's going on. We sang also about how good is the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, once we've tasted 
Really, once we have the reality of who he is, man, something happens supernaturally on the inside, and it naturally starts doing, I get hungrier and hungrier. Now, you may wander off for a season, but you're ruined forever in a good way, right? First of all, you're never good at sin anymore. It's, it's no more fun. The Holy Spirit's like, Tom, you, 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 what do you, you might, you know, you, one time you used to like it. Now it's like, oh, Lord, God. You're just miserable. Why? Because you're in pursuit. You're owned. He says, I have you in the palm of my hand. Well, let's look at some uh, scripture. Why don't you turn with me to John chapter 13. Love's revelation this pursuit, this journey from servanthood to friendship, how is that possible? A friend of God? Man, I don't even, I don't know how that all works in my brain. I, I know what the word says. I like the way it sounds, but I often ask myself, God, am I being a good friend right now? Am I being a good friend of God? Would you want me as your friend, Lord? John chapter 13, this scripture about Jesus washing feet. Verse one, I'm gonna read out of the New Living Translation, but I may skip over to King James as well at times. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and he loved them to the very end. Man, I like that scripture. In fact, it says to the full extent. He loved them to the full extent. Wow. Loved them to the end. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that his father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Now, just stop there a moment. Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything. King James says it this way. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and went to God. The revelation, the realization once you and I truly, listen to me now, once you and I truly come to the revelation, I am his. How big he is and who I am in the picture of that changes everything. What Jesus is saying here, he already knew the Father had given him everything. Now look what he does with that revelation. He loved them to the full extent of everything. It was time to go but he's got some teaching point to his disciples right now that if they get this, it'll transform the world. Jesus knew that he had come from the Father, had everything in his hands. Verse four, so he got up from the table, took a robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water in a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel. Even Judas... Even Judas. Wow. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, you're, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No. Peter protested, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you don't belong to me. You got to love Peter, right? He was like, I'll never deny you. Yeah, really, Peter. Three times. Uh, I'm going to die with you. Yeah, mm -hmm. all right. Now you're not going to wash my feet. Well, then if you can't be mine, okay. Well, now he says, wash everything. Well, I don't, that, that picture I don't need, but he says, um, he says, that's not necessary. And then he speaks of a spiritual thing. Simon Peter exclaims, he says, well, then you wash me head as well, my feet. Jesus replied, a person who's bathed all over does not need to wash except the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, speaks of the defiled one, Judas. For Jesus knew who would betray him, and what he had meant, he said, not all of you are clean. After washing the feet, he put his robe, sat down, and asked, do you understand what I was doing? 
I'm paying it forward. You call me teacher and Lord. You're right. That's what I am. But since I am your Lord and your teacher and I washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are no greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. What an example. There is a presence. The, I, want to, I want to shift here. The, this revelation of God. Once we come, the greater and greater. See, the journey of Philippians 1.6, beginning the work, there's a revelation that comes. It may be through your circumstance. If you know my testimony, I was lost. My, my daughter was sick. There was fear of her death. Little baby. Science had given up. A prophetic word comes out. I'm called out of a crowd. Your child's being healed of an intestinal disorder right now. I have no reference for that. I have no great grid for that. The spirit word releases that power. My daughter's healed. My wife operates in faith. And I come to this place and I have it out with God. He's good with that. Revelation. There was this revelation. I call it the two-by-four method where Tom Hauser gets whacked on the side of the head. My mother's been praying. My grandmother's been praying. My wife's been praying. He's still not getting it. Boom! Revelation. Now, I hope that, you know, you don't need it that way. (laughs) It's better when you come in a love relationship as opposed to the woodshed. But however you get there is all right. Turn with me to John chapter 17. Just flip a few pages to the right. In John 17, this is Jesus' prayer to his Father for all of us, all the disciples who ever were. In fact, he says, I'm praying in verse 20 of John 17. I'm praying for all the disciples who will ever believe in me through the message of the apostles. That's us, those who are born again. So Jesus prays this prayer to his father about unity and oneness that you'll reveal. I've shown yourself. He says in verse 6, John 17, 6, I have revealed you to the ones that you gave me from this world. They were always yours. Boy, that's interesting. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now, they know that everything I have is a gift from you. I've passed on to them the message you gave me, Father. I've passed it on to them. They've accepted it, and they know that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. My prayer is not for this world, for those that you've given me, because they belong to you. This is this, I am in you, and you're in me, and the oneness of this. But then he says in verse 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but whoever will believe through the message. I pray that they'll be one, as you and I are one, Father. Here's this revelation of the oneness. Kenny talked about the cup being the, the, the carriers of the anointing, the carriers of kingdom. That's another thing. How how can that be? We are vessels. Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? He goes on and talks about this oneness. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me. My experience, may they also experience the perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. Now look at this. This is a powerful statement. O righteous Father, Verse 25, the world doesn't know you. This is a very interesting no, very intimate. They don't know you. These disciples know that you sent me and I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do that. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. You see the revelation? You see the promise of the revelation? This is this thing where they, the, I, these disciples saw the miracles, so they know you sent me. They, they know that I came from you. They may not know you yet, but they're going to know you because I'm going to continue to reveal myself through experience, through the Philippians 1-6 road journey of your life. Everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the mysteries, the suffering, the sadness, the despair, the good places. I had a grandbaby born, nine pounds, three ounces on this week, right? Beautiful little Annabelle, right? That, this is, a, when you, man, you can't, 
I, I watched my daughter go through all that, and and then, oh my God, look, she, uh, man, you can't not believe there's a God. You got to be some kind of weirdo. It, it takes too much faith not to believe there's a God, right? It is just you got to be kidding me. How, Lord, how did you know to those beautiful little eyes and fingers and all that? Oh, my goodness. She's gorgeous. Hallelujah. All right, that's a rabbit trail. John 15, turn back a couple of pages. In the Revelation. Now, once we've had revelation, you must have a choice that you must make. Take a look at the outline. Pursuing his presence transforms a servant to a friend. The greater the revelation of who we are in Christ, the greater the humility to serve in the kingdom. If Jesus says, I'm the son of God, the Messiah, and he drops his robe and gets a towel, that's pretty big humility. He now washes the feet of even the one who will curse him and eventually betray him. That humility of the revelation is, I know who I am. I know I have all authority. I can drop my robe and I can wash the feet. That ought to get us really motivated. Trash needs to go out, go put the trash out. We need to help somebody, let's do it. The pursuit of his presence in the paragraph there transforms from lost sinners. This is last week's sermon. I asked you the question, are you seeing yourself as a sinner saved by grace or are you a saint? Understand the men's group Monday night kicked this one all around. Because yes, I told you, I got the two by four. I, I realized, man, I am a sinner <laughs> and I need a whole lot of grace right now. But I'm no longer sitting there. I now know that I belong to the one who is. I'm his son. That changes who you are. That changes the way you behave. That changes your whole attitude. And so when you get a revelation of who Christ is, you have a choice. Look at this. Let's take a look at John chapter 15. Verse 13. Let's take a look at that one. 13, 15, I like this. John 15, 13 says, John 15, I'm sorry, did I say 13? John 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves, King James says servants, for the servant doesn't know what the Lord doeth, but I have called you friends for all things I have, I've heard from my father and I have made them known to you. My sheep hear my voice, I hear from him. He tells us in John chapter 10, he says, you are my friends, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command, I no longer call you slaves or servants. The master doesn't confide in slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. I didn't choose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Here's that, you know, who, who, who found Jesus? <laughs> he found us, right? And so I want you to see friendship has a connection with obedience, doing the commands. Didn't Remember when uh, Jesus was in the house with the disciples and his mother and brothers who were skeptical that he was the Messiah. His mother knew, but his brothers didn't. And they were hanging outside the house and they came and said, your mother and your brothers are outside. Jesus doesn't run out there. He does a teaching. Who is my family? Is it my biological mother and brothers outside, my brothers who don't believe in me right now? Or is it, he said, he, tell, he answers the question, he says, those who do the will of my father. They are my family and they're friends. Now that's close friendship. Okay, turn with me to Luke chapter five. Turn back to Luke five. Look at this choice. These disciples were faced. I love Peter. He's just such a great example for me. Foot and mouth disease and yet, you know, he's got, uh, you gotta love his heart and you gotta love how he finished. He finished really well. Crucified upside down at the end of his life. 
refusing to deny Christ. The same day it's said in history when Paul was beheaded by Nero. Verse 1, chapter Luke, chapter 5. On the day that Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed into him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. The fishermen had left there and were washing their nets. Stepping into the boats, Jesus asked Simon, Peter, the owner, to push out in the water so he could sit on the boat and teach the crowds. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night. We didn't catch anything. But if you say so, I'll I'll let down the nets again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought partners from the other boats, and soon both boats were filled with fish to the point of sinking. Here's the revelation, verse 8. When Simon Peter realized, had the revelation of what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught. And as the others were with him, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were all amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishers of people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. When you come to, Peter got this revelation. And I love how he just, if he's going to be, a, he, he talks to a fisherman as a fisherman. He talks to a hunter, a mom, a housewife. He can find you and communicate to you. Can he? He gets it just... The fisherman who worked all, he, he purposefully set up Peter, James, and John to catch nothing. That means they worked all night for nada. No money, nothing. Working all night. Get, wait till they get it all done, all put away. Uh, uh, Peter, let's push out again and let's mess these nets all up again. And he's probably thinking, this guy's not a fisherman. He's a, he's a preacher, man. He doesn't know nothing about this. But I just heard him preach if you say so, all right, all right. When the boat's about to sink, there's no more fish you can get in the boat. That's a good day's work. And the revelation of that says they left the catch <laughs> and they followed him. So here's the question. When Jesus makes a revelation of who you are and where we are going with him, what do you do? Are we following or not following? How hard are we following? How hard is the pursuit? How great is the revelation of the transformation? Let me give you some definitions. Transformation, to make a thorough or dramatic change in form, both appearance and character. This transformation, you get the picture of the, right, the caterpillar going into a butterfly, that's big, right? So you've got this revelation of transformation that when you get transformed, what's a friend? A friend is a loved one in the Greek, it's the phylos. It's the bond of mutual affection, someone with whom you are both known and well-knowing. So a friend is someone you know. This is not the Facebook stuff. I've been friended on Facebook. Oh, great. Shallow, hidden, masked. It just it is not the social media stuff we're talking about. This is, this is friendship. This is that... This is the depths of being known. And you might think about it. I don't know how many friends you have that you truly call friends. It's usually just a few throughout life. When we look at friendship, what is a servant? A servant's definition, a person who performs duties for someone else. What he said, Jesus said, is I no longer call you who do the dutiful things of your faith, believing in me. I now call you friends because you do all that I've commanded you to do. Remember the scripture? We won't turn there, but remember the says, on that day there'll be many who call me Lord, Lord. Didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? That's not your run-of-the-mill people sitting in the pew. These are people who, but it says, but what you did was unlawful, not authorized, not led by the Holy Spirit. 
Whatever your motive was when you did that, it wasn't me telling you to do that. Therefore, you are not even worthy of being mine. And they're cast into outer darkness. That's a really sobering scripture for me. I often question, Lord, we, we want all the signs and wonders. We want to, but it needs to be you. It needs to be led by you. So this is those who do the commands. Those are the friends of God. All right, let's keep on. Look at number one. Pursuing his presence transforms. God, the I am, is first revealed to us. Just think of it in a minute. What were the circumstances in your life that brought you the point of complete surrender? We all have a story to tell. I told you mine. Running from God, nuclear engineer, science is my God. I got a spiritual mom praying for me. I got a spiritual grandma praying for me. I didn't have a, I didn't have a chance. It's like, man. Yeah, but I'll just... This I am, Revelation, in John 11, I won't turn there, but remember when Lazarus dies, it said he was a friend, he was a friend of Jesus, Lazarus was his friend, and Martha and Mary, and he lets his friend die, right, it's like four days, and then he gets there, and the, daughter, the sisters are saying, Lord, you don't, you don't really want to open that tomb up, it's, it's not going to be good, and he makes this statement in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So we thank you, Lord, that there is this revelation. Man, I feel like that a lot of times too. You're doing good, Heidi. Come on. Hang in there, mama. <laughs> I am that I am. The revelation. Once I am is revealed to us, and we realize he's the resurrection and the life, it causes us to have to make a choice. Number three, true servants, true sons, true daughters, they give up their choices and they surrender their will. Let me say that again. True sons and daughters, give up your will. You give up your will. You give up your will. Jesus said he learned to obedience by the things he suffered. In the night that he was betrayed in the garden, I've sat in that garden. That night I was thinking when, when they came to him, just three, an hour before they came and got him to crucify him, he asked the father three times while he sweated in such anxiety, it says they literally sweat blood. Now that's a lot of anxiety. I've never been to that point, praise God. But I've had people with panic attacks and anxiety that said, I, I felt like I was going to die. Jesus was to that point. It says, Father, let this cup pass from me. Three times he asked him, Father, if there's any other way, let's do it a different way. He said, Son, there is no other way. Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done, Father. Now, if he modeled that, you and I need to model it. This will of ours, this, this wretched old man, we talked about him last week in Romans chapter 6. That dead old man, Kenny said it. When you get baptized in Romans chapter 6, it says that old man died in the water. Don't You need to drown that old guy. Drown him. Now, you can, you can do mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation on that old guy. You can start opening the door again and start messing where you ought not to be a messing and your life will get unraveled. I've been there. You're talking backsliding? I've been there. When I worked for GE, I worked with some of the fun with ups and downs. Like, dear Lord, thank God. I started to realize, taste and see. You know, that when I do what he said, I get blessed. There may be battles, but I get blessed. I'm, I'm sick and tired of that old dude. He needs to get a coffin nailed in his head. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's what he said, right? So look, you no longer have a free will that you are not going to submit. You have your free will, but you're going to submit it. That's, that, is, that is the beauty of sonship. When you willingly say, you know, I have a will and I could do that, but I love you so much. I'm not afraid so much of you whacking me anymore. 
I just don't want to break your heart anymore. I just don't want to break your heart anymore. When we come from that transformation of the woodshed to the love relationship, now we become the friends of God. That's so critical for this journey that we're all on. None of us have arrived, but we're all on. Numbers five, often the revelation of God comes to us in the wilderness on the backside of the desert. I don't know why that is. Turn with me to Exodus chapter three. Man, I got really inspired this week. I'm about ready to get inspired again. Maybe expired, hallelujah. Moses, Moses deals with this in Exodus chapter three. I love this. I saw that, I was like, what? Okay, there's the desert and then there's the backside of the desert. I don't know what a backside of the desert looks like. I, don't, I know what a wilderness, I think the, I've been in the wilderness before, right? Some call it the, de- the dark night of the soul. Many of us go through these seasons. Leif Hetland came here and talked about the molting process, that every one of us goes through these seasons like, where are you, God? I'm sitting here. Well, here's Moses on the backside of the desert. Woohoo! Glory to God. What does that look like? Verse 1. Now Moses kept flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, led the flock to the backside of the desert. And he came to a mountain of God, even to Horeb. See, sometimes you find the mountain of God on the backside of the desert. In that wilderness, right? Now it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing bush. God called to him, verse 4, from the middle of the bush. I love this. Moses says, here I am. Don't come any closer, the angel of the Lord warned Take off your sandals. You're standing on a holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. See the I am's? The Lord told him, I've certainly seen. Now look at this. I have seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cries. And now I'm about to act. Aren't you so glad God sees and hears? Now, it took 400 years. Like, holy moly, God, your idea of timing is not mine, right? That's that wait patiently for him to act, right? This is that waiting on him. But he sees and he hears. He's not taken by, when there's perfect timing. He says, this is who I am. This is what I want you to do. And this is how you're going to do it. And then he says in verse 14, well, what am I going to tell him? Just tell him I am sent you. I am sent you. That's not I was. I will be. It's I am. He is now, forever, has been, is. He is the I am. And once we get a revelation of the I am, now I don't understand this whole backside of the desert thing. Sometimes he does things that are just wild. Look at this. And and when you think your destiny can't happen, I won't turn, have you turn here, but Exodus chapter 2. I want you to see twice in history when a deliverer is being raised up, the devil tries to kill him off. You know the example of Jesus, right? Born, in the, the mama's crying in Ramadan when Herod heard from the wise men that there was a, and from the, from the prophecies that a Messiah, a king of the Jews was being raised up. He goes in and murders all the children two years and under. An angel warns Joseph, get the child out and takes him into Egypt. Until he's gone, until Herod dies. That's the first time. That's the second time. First time, here. Moses, the deliverer, is being raised up. God sees and hears. At the same time, he says, what happens? So he decides, Pharaoh decides, we're going to kill all the infants, all the male children. In Exodus 2, he then gathers all the children, the males, and he has them all drowned in the Nile River. Except one, or at least one we know of. Moses. Her mama, his mama, decides to hide him for three months. And how do you know you're on the backside of the desert when the Nile River, which is loaded with crocodiles, that you're on your last hope when you make a little basket and you put your three-month-old baby in it and you float him down the Nile? That's, there's, no, there's no plan B. It's plan A. God, and praying. What happened? Of course, God sets it. Don't you love this? I just love this. <laughs> Pharaoh's daughter happens to be taking a bath. 
the little baby comes over, Moses, oh, he's crying. I like that. Let's, and raises him. The deliverer is raised in the devil's house, fed from the devil's table, lifted up in that. Come on. You don't think, oh, watch the devil. He, the devil's got all these plans. Come on now. You are not going to defeat Jesus. He's got a plan. His presence. Number six, the devil can't stop your destiny, neither can your sinful past. He cannot. Destiny comes as we follow after him. Now, Moses had a choice. He said, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do that. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, why I, you gonna, I'll tell him I am. Sure, I can't speak. Uh, well, good, we'll raise up your brother. He can speak. Well, what am I gonna do? What do you got in your hand? I got a rod. Okay, well, throw it down. There's a snake. <laughs> I, man, I've, man, I've killed some snakes. I can't find anywhere that you pick up a snake by its tail. No, you don't, right? Where's some of our rednecks? Come on now. All right, you know it, right? You, it, what is he, throw that thing down and it's like a cobra and pick that thing up. By the, this is another test. Come on now, Lord. Do you want to kill me before I even get there? Pick it up and he, man, these are all tests. I don't know what you've got to do that is unnatural in your walk with the Lord. That seems to be, Lord, that's not what we should do here right now. I, now, we don't play with snakes. Nobody heard that. I had somebody call me, what, do you do that? I said, no, we only do it on Sunday evenings. <laughs> but I, I'm telling you, we don't do that here. Only spiritual snakes that we crush, okay? All right, all right, moving right along. I just didn't want anybody to get confused. The greatness of God. Let's move on. It says in number seven, his presence transforms us as we follow and pursue obedience. Put your tent of meeting away from the noise of culture. This is really big. We need to shut off all the overstimulation. I don't know about you, but I don't have my phone on me right now. It's right there. But when you take a walk at night, go somewhere, do you ever leave your phone home? Some of you do. Good for you. My suggestion would be we need to turn off some of this social media bombardment. Do you know that in one day you probably get more information passed to you than many get in a lifetime of years ago? And so... I want you to see what Moses did. There's something about, because Moses is called a friend of God, I'm going with this, his obedience, his passing the tests, it says he became a friend of God, and God spoke to him face to face like a friend. But I want you to see here in, in Exodus 3, when Moses had the revelation, Exodus 3, 6, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Isaac and, and, I, and Jacob. When Moses heard he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Sometimes in our revelation, in our sinfulness, when I realized I cussed out God and he healed my daughter, I realized, okay, when I took a walk in the woods that week and a half later, I said, okay, so you exist. A little embarrassed about cussing you out, but, um, but now what do I do? He's okay with a real heart. But I tell you, I wanted to hide my face because I knew where I'd come from and I knew what I was into. And I said, Lord, I, I wanted to hide my face. And Moses, he'd murdered somebody. His idea to be a deliverer was to murder. That's why he ran away for 40 years and ended up on the backside of the desert. And some of you have run from God because you've been doing some stuff and you're now in the backside of the desert. And the Lord says, I can find you. I am that I am. All that's required is you surrender. Do what I say. That's that place where he hides, he hides his face, but I want you to see. Turn with me 30 chapters later. <laughs> Let's get to Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus 30 chapters later, all the stuff, Red Seas, and we're in the desert with the, with the two million people, and it's... Amazing, God has been showing them what to do, build a tabernacle, make the, raising up these, these amazing skilled people to build the tent of meeting house and the, all the revelations of battles and going here and providing manna. They've got all this stuff of revelation. God has been revealing over and over and over again the greatness of who he is and as a provider and a covering. 
and they don't get it. Man, how can we not get it? How can we not get it? Now, I realize they didn't have the Holy Spirit, and we do. So it's a different day. It says the old covenant is now obsolete, and we have a more better, more excellent covenant. We have this temple. We now have become the stones, the living stones, Peter talks in 1 Peter chapter 2. We are now the living stones fit together as the temple. You are now a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Everyone here born again of the Spirit, you are a priest in the eyes of God. Whether you know it, believe it, or even want it, that's what he said. So we ought to start behaving like priests. Goes on, he says, 30, 30 chapters later, and how much time had passed by, his presence now transforms. I want you to see in 33, 7 through 11, I'll just have you turn there. Hold your finger in chapter 32, but it says, it was Moses' practice, Exodus 33, 7. It was Moses' practice, this is what he did, to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Moses went out to the tent of meeting. All the people would get up and stand at the entrance of their own tents, and they would all watch as Moses would disappear inside. Talk about the presence. As he went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and hover the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down at the front of their tents. Inside the tent of the meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but there was a young man who assisted him, Joshua, the son of Nun, who would remain behind in the tent of meeting. You wonder why Joshua became another leader? There you go. He liked the presence of God. He came and sat in his feet. What do you see? Turn back to 32, chapter 32. Friends can be real with each other. They can help in both processing of truth and for righteous direction. That's why you got to have friends. You got to have accountability, folks, that you can be as real as anything with. They'll tell you what you need to do. They'll, they'll love you in spite of your mess. They'll give you counsel and advice. It's in Proverbs, wise counsel. We all need it. If you don't have one, go pray and ask God for it. I've got several and I need them. And tell you what, this is... This, I got to tell you, I don't understand this scripture to the full extent, but I want to reveal it to you, what he said. Here they are. Moses goes up to the mount to be alone with God to get the Ten Commandments. While he's away, he's gone for a long season. says he was gone a long time. Verse 1 of chapter 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, come on and make us some gods that will lead us. Say what? You know, I'll just paraphrase this whole chapter. Aaron, the high priest, what is wrong with him? He says, give me your jewelry. He takes the jewelry that they got from the gold from those when they left Egypt. And he, he lies. This is terrible. He forms this thing. But look, at, look he says here in verse 24. When he comes down and Moses finds out they're worshiping this gold calf, they're dancing, they're drinking, they're going into pagan revelry, it says, and he calls over to Aaron and says, what have you done? He goes, man, I threw the gold in the fire and it came out a calf. You liar. Come on now. That's what it says right there. Just look at it. Verse 24. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and it came out a calf. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right. So they're worshiping, they're carrying on. God says, I'm done. I'm finished with these people. They're rebellious, stiff-necked. Now, you ever had this happen? I've had it happen. My, my wife will say, when my daughter or son would mess up when they were young, your son is doing, my son, uh, I think you had something to do with this. Your daughter's messing up. My daughter? Uh, here, they, here they go. I love this. Right here, look at this. Verse 32 says, the Lord told Moses, Verse, two, uh, verse 7, 
Quick and get down the mountain. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they've turned away from the way. Interesting, that word, the way. Show me your ways. God, I want to know your ways, Moses asked later. I commanded them to live, and they've, they've melted gold calves, and they've done, these, they're after other gods. The Lord said, I have seen how these stubborn and rebellious people and who they are. Now leave me alone in my fierce anger. I'm going to blaze them up, and I'm going to make you, Moses, a great nation. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a great test. This is why Moses was called, I believe, one of the most humblest men. It doesn't mean a weak toast. But in humility, this is like, hey, let's wipe out all these dudes, and I'll make you really great. What does Moses say? He didn't didn't even bite at that one bit. Man, I, I think that's a major test. I will make you, Moses, a great nation. Verse 10. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Why are you so angry with now your own people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt? You're going to let the Egyptians, now this is where friendship comes, face to face. You're going to do this and you're going to expose yourself and people are going to talk about you, Lord. You're going to tell the Egyptians you rescued them through the Red Sea, kill them, only bring them out here and then burn them all up? Turn away from your fierce anger. He's calling God out. I I don't get it. But I called him. Pat reminded me. He says, you called God out. If you're real, show me and heal my daughter. And then I'll reveal myself to you. And I said, if you do that, I'll believe you. I, I forgot about that one. Turn away from your fierce anger and change your mind about this terrible disaster you've threatened to do to your people. Remember your servant Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You promised those guys something, remember? I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars. I will give them this land that you promised to the descendants. They'll possess it forever. Look at verse 14. I I don't get it. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring to his people. Can the Lord change his mind? Can you as a friend of God cause him to do something that he hadn't planned to do. I'll give you another example. We've covered it before. Jesus at the wedding of Cana. Woman, he says, mama says, they're out of wine, by the way. Woman, it's not my time. Servants, whatever he tells you to do, you do what he tells you to do. Now he's got this thing. Dad, we're not making wine right now. But this woman... This, this, she's now, I got this problem. I'm supposed to honor my dad. I'm supposed to honor my mom. You say, don't make wine. Mom says, they're out of wine. We're making wine. Okay, we're making wine. Did God change his mind? Can a friend encourage something to be pulled into its time when it's not its time? Can he cause mountains to move? Why is it so important as transformed ones of God that we become the friends of God? Because in the friendship of God, we get close to his face. We look at him face to face. He can call us out. We can be in that place. And God, I can know your will greater and greater, even though it just looks crazy, God. That's why we're after this. That's why we're in pursuit of this. Now, I realize this is a meat and potato service. This is not, you know, little 101 stuff. No, this is the meat and potato of who are we in Christ. And none of us have arrived, but we're on this journey. The test of friendship. Look at number nine. The test of friendship will really reveal your true self-motives. Moses' self-motive. If he had been, make me great, he would have said, yeah, let's wipe those dudes out. His motive was, no, God, you said, and I, I need to protect your reputation, God, even though you know everything and I think you already know this and maybe you're just testing me to see it. I I don't know. The test of friendship will reveal true motives because friends speak to each other face to face. Number 11, the greatness of God's presence brings us to a place of desperation. He finishes chapter 33 and all that drama. Now you gotta, you gotta imagine this. There's, there's, there's this 
revenge that takes place. People have died because of their worship of false idols. God, Moses puts himself in a place of intercession with the priesthood. He's got to get the restoring of the priesthood. They've come to this defilement place. Even the high priest, Aaron, they've got to get their defilement dealt with. There's people that have died. There's people that are confused. He's already gotten angry and smashed the Ten Commandments that he had gotten from the hill, was supposed to bring them back to him. He's got to go get another set of those. There's drama all over this place. And here's what God says. I'm not going with these people because you know what? If I go with them, I'm just going to wipe them out. They're going to screw up again, basically, right? What does he say? I'm not going to travel with you. Look at verse 3 of chapter 33. 33, 3. Go up to the land that flows with milk and honey. You're right. I told Abraham, Isaac, and go there. But I'm not traveling among you. For you are a stubborn and rebellious people. And if I did, I'd surely destroy you on the way. When the people heard the stern words, they went into mourning and they stopped wearing their jewelry, think. For the Lord had told Moses, tell them, get that stubborn, rebellious people that are traveling with you, that I'm going to destroy them. Get rid of that jewelry and their clothes. and, And while I decide what to do with you, from that time on, they left Mount Sinai. The Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothing. They wandered for 40 years, right? Would have taken less than a week and they got 40 years in the desert. And it was Moses' practice, the tent of meetings. Now look what he does. I know it's not, you don't want to go with us. But here's face-to-face communication. One day Moses said to the Lord, verse 12, You have been telling me, take these people to the promised land. But you haven't told me whom you're going to send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I know you look favorably on me. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways. So I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. Wow. And remember this, nation is your very own people. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I'll give you rest, and everything will be fine with you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your own people if you don't go with us? For your presence, your presence among us sets your people apart from all the people of the earth. That presence sets us apart. You want to know how to impact people out there? Let the presence. That will set us apart. When you go to Harris Teeter or you're in Belk or you're downtown, you're out out and about, how will people know? It's his presence. It's his presence. God, if you don't go with us, how will they know? And Lord says, I will indeed do what you've asked me to do. Verse 17, I will look favorably on you. I know you by name, Moses. Moses responds, this guy's gutsy. Then show me your glorious presence. He's been in the tent of meeting. He's been there. The clouds come down. He goes, that's not enough for you, Moses. No. Show me your glorious presence. This is what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain and Moses and Elijah show up and start talking. And the Father says, do what he says, this is my son. That's the glorious presence. No wonder Peter, James, and John, they were so transformed when they got back down, they'd be willing to go onto the Isle of Patmos and be imprisoned Write the book of Revelation, be boiled in oil, be beheaded, be transformed. Come on. This is the glory. Once I've tasted and see the glorious presence of God, I can't, I can't stay normal. Moses responds, you show me your glorious presence. Then the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh. Before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you 
Don't look directly in my face. Now when I show you all the glorious presence, the Lord continued, look, stand near the rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I'll hide you in the crevice. See, that's what friends do. I'm going to hide you right now, my friend. Now we know later, we see it in Hebrews, that Moses' face shined. The glorious presence so shined on his face that he had to wear a veil. And then he goes on and says, now you have the Holy Spirit. Greater is your glorious presence with him than what Moses had on the veil that covered him. What's holding us back? All right, I got to land this thing. Jesus. Number 12. His presence reveals his glory and his goodness to his friends. The glorious presence. Why don't we stand? When we... I don't dream dreams. Very seldom do I have a dream. But I had a dream last night. I was by myself. Esther was up here with Michael watching the babies. I called Michael this morning. I said, I had a dream, Michael. I said, we were at this place and all these people, the presence of God was there. And all these people were coming. And I could see some of them. They were coming from churches because the presence wasn't there. Now, it wasn't about me or my, my son or Pastor Tom. Right. It was about the presence of God. Right, amen. So I got in here this morning to pray. And Sister Nancy and Pastor Terry's wife, we were in there praying. And I just told them, the presence of God. It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God is what we need. Now, let me tell you why we don't have the presence of God. Listen, why we don't have the presence of God. Just what happened to Aaron? Lies and half lies are lies. That's what stops the presence of God. And this is what he told me as I was riding in by myself praying. And I prayed, Lord, help me to walk like Enoch walked. Let me tell you why Enoch walked. And the Bible says in the book of Jude in the last days, there was gonna be a people walking like Enoch because there are people that are truthful that put them lies on the altar. There's people in this house right now that are walking in lies and them lies are bringing oppression and depression and rebellion. And it's not gonna get better, it's gonna get worse. And you got a decision to make. Not get truthful, but you got to get truth. Listen to me, I'll go into jail tonight and I'll tell them men with everything inside of me. There's one thing that'll set you free. You're, you're a liar. We all, the Bible says we're all liars. Yes, sir. We all love ourselves more than anybody else. Yes, sir. You want to go to heaven? You want to go to hell? Want to go to heaven? We all, now, what's the, what's the deal? We got to be truthful with the truth. Amen. You got to be truthful with the truth. And that will, that will set up an atmosphere where people out there, listen, I watched Michael last week. We were in a little church. He got in there and he got truthful. He told about coming out of homosexuality. He come all about drugs. When he did the altar call, it lined up. The whole front lined up. Mm. And who were they? Mamas and grandmamas crying for their granddaughters mm. and their children. And I said, listen, we can't do nothing but look to the truth. We got to look to the truth of Jesus and trust him, young'uns. I'm telling you, God wants to do something here at Global Rivers. Mm. He does wants to do something in this house. Mm. And it needs to be established as a house of truth where people can be truthful. The time of playing games is over. <laughs> God is coming soon. Look at this nation. Look at the people. We, we had two overdoses with drugs week four last. 15 since the first of the year in Jacksonville. I am telling you, we're in trouble. We need the presence of God in our church. Amen. I'm through. All right, let's just, let's just bow our heads. You've heard the word. You heard a prophetic word.
We don't want that to fall on deaf ears. Every one of us, every one of us needs to do some business with God right now. There's someone that you've got bitterness in your heart towards. Matthew says, Jesus' red letter word says, forgive and you'll be forgiven. If you refuse to forgive, the Father will not forgive you. You have to be willing. Doesn't mean we excuse what they did and we don't necessarily not keep boundaries up around that, but I forgive. I will too. I release my will. I no longer will my will on this. I will your will to forgive. You got some hidden sin going on? Don't leave here without confessing it to one of our ministry team members. Why don't you come, ministry team? These ministry team members will protect your privacy. It says, if you'll confess, confess, James 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed, sozoed, delivered, set free in the name of Jesus. So let me have some background music and let's, if you're here this morning and you need to know Jesus, you can't hear a message like this and walk out of here. You will be um, tossed to and fro for over a week. Come and just settle the deal. You got that twist in your heart. You got a tightness in your chest. Don't worry about it. Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father. But if you fail to acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge you before my Father. So don't worry about anybody else being here. This is you and Jesus. So, Lord, I thank you right now.